0: Switch on. Ah, excellent. excellent. Well, good evening, everyone. Lovely to, to see you tonight. And um, as Joe has been saying, we're, we're carrying on this theme about, um, about the fruits of the Spirit. And we've, we've looked at love, joy, peace. And tonight's fruity topic is patience. Um, so let's ask the Lord to help us as we look at His Word. Father, draw close, we pray, and as we look at your word, we pray that you would speak to us. Father, help our hearts be be open to what you may be saying to us, and give us the strength and the patience, Lord, to put those into practice in the power of your Spirit. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, I wonder how you define patience. Yes, it might be a card game that you play by yourself or on your, um, on your uh, phone. Um, but I think we're looking a little bit more, much more than that. And if you look in a, in a dictionary, you'll find that um, patience is defined as the quality of being able calmly to endure suffering, toil, delay, vexation or other similar conditions. And... Uh, There may be other aspects too where um, you may be seen to show patience, um, where you might be not easily provoked, uh, or where you are um, without complaint willing to take the situation that you find yourself in. I wonder what picture conjures up in your mind when you think of someone who is patient, a patient person. Are you a patient person? As you gaze in the mirror in the morning, as you do your hair or shave or whatever, do your eyeshadow, I forgot mine tonight. Um, is that what you see, the person you see there? Would you say, now that is a patient person? He's somebody, she's somebody who really knows how to keep cool, is a cool dude, if you like, somebody who chills out very easily. Maybe you're probably not the best person to ask if you are a patient person. It's probably best, isn't it, to ask somebody who knows you well, um, your partner, your, uh, your brother or sister, your children, somebody else, your work colleague, perhaps. So I wonder, how would you picture yourself? Are you, would you say you were a calm person, generally? Serene, chilled out, Or someone, perhaps, who is very easily irritated by people who just can't get their act together. I wonder what it is that sort of presses your buttons. That is, gets that impatience going. What causes you to to lose your rag, as they sometimes say? Perhaps it's waiting in a queue of traffic. Or in a queue at a supermarket. Waiting for a flight that never seems to come. Or a train, which at the moment could be very late or non-existing. Or you might be waiting for an appointment in A and E, which keeps on getting cancelled and you have to wait yet longer. Are you waiting to find a job and nothing seems to come your way? Lots of different ways that we might be waiting, some perhaps much more important than others. Is it a coincidence that people seeking medical help are called patients? You certainly need it today. It wasn't that long ago when um, people were called, cool that it was, patients was a name, I think probably for, for women rather than men. There was a well-known lady called Patience Strong who used to write great um, meditations, I believe, and, and things like that. Now, I don't know what I would have liked to be called Patience. Um, it does rather put a rather pressure on you, doesn't it? I've noticed that when I go to a hospital appointment or a dentist or a doctor's appointment, however, the secret to not waiting is to take something to read with you. Because if you take something to read with you, you're almost certain that you'll get there. And just as you're turning to your page, Mr Masters, oh, it comes on. And then the time you forget to take a book with you, uh, sorry, there's a two-hour delay. It is frustrating, isn't it? But maybe you don't get frustrated like that. You're a calm person. The whole thing about waiting is made worse because we often don't know how long the wait will be. It's sort of often out of our control. And that's why the whole thing can be so frustrating. We just don't have that control we want. We don't have that degree of certainty. And so that causes impatience and frustration, annoyance, anger, uh, and even... ...violent and irrational behaviour. And of course explains things like road rage... ...where people just can't contain themselves anymore... ...and they take the law into their own hands. Waiting can be seen as such a waste of time, can't it? In our world of instant this and instant that... um, ...and where we have so many things planned... And if we're late with this thing, it's going to have a knock-on effect to the next appointment, and so on. And so it makes patience an exceedingly difficult virtue to, to show. So lots of different ways in which our patience might be tested. But many of those experiences sort of pale into insignificance when we think of people who are in really dire situations, I'm thinking perhaps of hostages in other countries who've been in prison, sometimes for no valid reason. And there they are, wallowing in prison. Uh, They have no idea how long they'll be there. And um, it must be an extremely stressful time. We're warned that frustration and anger and impatience is not good for us. It raises our blood pressure and our heart rate. And it can make us very difficult to work with. We can become unpredictable and unreliable. There's also another aspect of patience, too, which relates to how patient we are with other people, if you like, interpersonal patience. We've been thinking mostly of sort of Um, situations and so on. But how patient are we with other people when they don't meet our expectations, they don't finish the work we want completed and they're slow to do the things we want? Are we a patient parent, a patient husband or wife, a patient friend or teacher? Or are we frequently blowing our top? How can we learn to be more patient. And uh, if you Google this sort of thing, you get loads and loads of self-help manuals to take control of your life, strategies to keep calm and patient, um, and if it's got that bad, anger management. And I'm not saying that these aren't, don't have some value. They do. Um, but I wonder if there's something um, much more that's... Um, much more sort of significant, something that, if you like, can change our inner selves um, so that something a little bit more permanent can actually be resolved in our, in our lives. Can the Bible help in this situation? And so we come to look at Psalm 27, and, um, and right at the end of Psalm 27, as we heard, wait for the Lord. Perhaps, Richard, you could throw up... Oh, sorry. Put up the, um, the um, Psalm 27. Can you zoom to the end? That would be lovely. And um, and we see... Um, can you go down to verse... Um, does it not go to the end? Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, we can stay there for the moment. I think you can all remember that it was wait. Wait for the... For the Lord, even though there's no NHS mentioned in the Bible or no aeroplanes and supermarkets with queues, there seems to be a lot about waiting and uh, a lot about patience. And uh, we have a situation here in Psalm 27 where the psalmist, possibly David, is facing a frightening situation. And as we as we look in the um, earlier verses, um, we find. Um, situations where evil men advance against him enemies and foes attack him armies armies besiege him there's every reason there to want God to act and to act quickly and uh, as we look perhaps you can go up to the first six verses Richard, sorry, keeping you on your um, the first six verses um, we seem to get um, an amazing amount of praise um, exuberant praise and he, as you can see in verse one haha, gone back to verse 1 he recognises God as his light his salvation and his stronghold and though he's facing real threats to his life he has confidence in God and so he says my foes stumble in the darkness from which I'm freed by his light uh-huh, yes I think we're there The massing of armies cannot affect my experience of inner peace through his salvation. And the threat of widespread conflict has no power to capture my stronghold. And so in these first six verses, particularly verses four to six, the psalmist is determined to know the abiding security and joy of God's presence. There's that lovely Verse about gazing upon the Lord to behold his beauty. There's a real sense of resting and waiting on the Lord. He's got a real sense of God's protection there, keeping him safe in his dwelling. And he will dwell, he will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. So there's an amazing amount of praise there, isn't there, and confidence in God's um, care for Him. And then as we come on to verse seven and onwards, the sort of mood of the psalm changes somewhat. And um, from this wonderful, um, exuberant praise <coughs> excuse me we come to a time of earnest petition. To, to seek God's deliverance. And uh, we see in verse seven, hear my voice, be merciful to me, answer me. In verse nine, don't hide your face, don't turn your servant in away in anger. Do not reject me or forsake me. In verse thirteen, in spite of his fears, he was he's confident. However, tricky things might be, that he will see the goodness of God, but he still needs to wait for God's timing. Although we might have confidence in God, it doesn't protect us from the challenges of everyday life. And these Psalms, like Psalm 27 and many others, help us to be really open and honest to God that when we are in those situations of waiting and nothing seems to be happening, he wants us not to be silent, but he's quite happy for us to air our frustrations and angers and say, for goodness sake, Lord, how long, how long will it be before I get my operation, before my children turn to you, whatever it is that you're waiting for? Some of you may recall some years ago... the story of Terry Waite we're going back back into the 80s Um, for those of you who who may not know um, Terry Waite um, was um, someone who was sent by the Archbishop of Canterbury then to negotiate the release of several captured Britons who'd been taken hostage and so he went out there to negotiate to find out where they were to find out how they were and so on and Unfortunately, he himself was taken hostage. And there he was in the Lebanon for 1,763 days, which is almost five years. And much of that time he was in solitary confinement, chained to a radiator, beaten and subjected to mock executions. And he says... I was chained to the wall for 23 hours and 50 minutes a day. I slept on the floor. I didn't have any books or papers. I was in a room where shutters were put in front of the window, so no natural light came in. And, of course, there was no companionship, so it was a fairly austere existence. You can get a slight understatement, I would say, there. Can you imagine being in that situation? I must admit, I don't think I could have... Managed a day, let alone 1,763 days. He added that he never questioned his faith. I used to say in the face of my captors, you have the power to break my body, the power to bend my mind, but my soul is not yours to possess. What I meant, and Terry Waite goes on, was that you're never going to take me completely because my soul lies in the hands of God. And that very simple belief was enough to enable me to maintain hope. Wow. That is amazing, isn't it? All that waiting and yet that confidence in God that gave him that that hope. What amazing patience waiting God and so we turn to our second reading in in James chapter 5 and uh, um, in the days of the early church when James was writing there was a strong expectancy that Christ would return and uh, the fact that he wasn't returning um, was making people getting somewhat impatient and uh, Certainly their patience was wearing very thin. When on earth would it happen? And so in this part of James, this chapter 5, he exhorts his readers to be patient and stresses the importance of waiting. And as you can see in the, in the passage here, verse 7, he uses the example of a farmer to illustrate how they need to be patient. I was trying to think what we might use today as an example, but it um, might be a fisherman possibly. I don't know. Anyway, as we can see in, in these verses, the farmer has no other option than to wait for his crops to grow. He's done all that he can. He's ploughed the land. He's raked the soil. He's got everything as reasonably flat as he can. He's taken up rocks and weeds and everything. He's sowed the seed and now... He has to wait, he has to wait for the autumn and spring rains, sorry, um, to come to help the whole germination process and, uh, and the growth which will swell the grain into a valuable crop. There's nothing else he can do but to wait. Yes, he might try talking to the seeds. Some people do talk. Do any of you talk to your plants? Well, maybe he could. Encouraging them to grow. Come on, you lot. He might play possibly encouraging music. Um, Or like a football manager at half-time, give them a jolly good talking-to to raise their game and grow. He might try digging up the soil to see if the seeds have started to grow, but of course that will only damage them. I must admit, I do that sometimes. If the seeds haven't come up, I sometimes have a little rummage to see what's going on. And invariably it causes problems. Anyway, be patient, be patient. But the farmer knows from previous years that the harvest will come. Yes, it might vary, but he has that hope that he won't be disappointed. Yet, Yet he will have to endure all the uncertainties of the weather, will there be enough rain? Will there be too much, and so on? But this underlying hope in the, in the, what we might see is the miracle of nature, the miracle of God. Sustains him through that waiting period. And so, James's um, readers need to need to wait and to continue to trust God, that He will act at the right time. And he was very aware, James was, that um, this waiting was causing a certain amount of irritation. People were becoming, um, they were grumbling, they were complaining, and so on. So it was important that they must be patient and wait. And James goes on in this passage to refer to um, Old Testament prophets who showed patience in the face of suffering, the Jeremiah's and the Isaiahs and so on, and we know from looking at those those chapters in the Old Testament how these prophets went through great periods of suffering, of being rejected, um, of uh, undergoing complete, um, sometimes scorn, and the fact too that much of what they prophesied sometimes. They never saw in their lifetime. It was a very, um, a very um, painful situation for them to be in, and how much they must have waited to see some of the things that they had prophesied coming into fruition. And then James refers to this, the example of Job, and he's here particularly for his perseverance and. And I'm sure we know well the story of Job having lost everything he owned. He endured criticism and rejection by his friends. He had the most awful boils and goodness knows what else. His health was pretty grim. And he naturally started feeling that God had forgotten him and that he was of no value at all. Just God had left him, if he liked, to rot. And yet in spite of this, he still had that amazing confidence not to deny his faith in God and as we know he ultimately came through this very difficult time of uh, of testing and his health and wealth were amazingly restored to a much greater degree than before you may recall right at the beginning of James's letter that he um, Mention some of the benefits of trials and temptations. And he says in verse, in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And we get a similar sort of message. In Romans 5, verse 2, where Paul says, We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, as God has poured out his love into our lives by the Holy Spirit he has given us. And we can sometimes see that in the, in the lives of Christians, that people who've been through some very, very difficult times, somehow their whole person, their character, has been wonderfully um, sculptured by God that brings great blessing to him and to the Christian church. I think perhaps for all of us, to some degree, patience doesn't come easily. For some who've got a slightly more... Relaxed um, temperament, it might be somewhat easy. But I think we all need the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to experience God's patience and to learn to wait, to learn to um, be willing for His timing and for His rhythm of life, if you like, to be fulfilled. And as we saw right at the beginning, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And like all these uh, fruits that are mentioned in Galatians 5, they are all grounded in love. If you like, patience results from the love God has poured into our hearts so that when we face difficult times, encounter difficult people, he gives the grace of his Holy Spirit to demonstrate patience. We may fail often. But as we remain united to him, he will provide us with that grace. And as we learn from our mistakes, so our faith and patience will be strengthened. James mentions the farmer and the the sowing of seed. And in a sense, the seed of faith has been planted in our hearts by God, which in time will grow to fruition so that the fruits of his Holy Spirit become more and more evident in our lives. Isaiah says in Isaiah 40 verse 31, a well-known verse, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So let's hold on. If we're going through difficult times and our patience is wearing thin let us pray for God's Holy Spirit to give us that patience that we need and to be honest to God and to confess when we do lose our rag when we don't have the patience that we'd like and open ourselves to him to receive his Holy Spirit in this way Amen.